Welcome to Because I Want to Know, the podcast where I interview guests about their crazy, unique occupations or life experiences. I'm your host, Leslie Fear. So let's get into it, shall we? Hey, everyone. Today I'm joined with Brooke Grove, and she's a multidisciplinary healer. She will explain that more later. She's also a near-death experiencer, and I want to welcome her to my show. So welcome to the show, Brooke. Hi, Leslie. Thank you for having me. I loved your story on my friend Tanya Berg's podcast, Life Continuing. I called her and I said, I got to have her on. So I'm so happy to have you on my show, your story about your near-death experience and what it has transformed you into had my jaw dropping. So can you kind of start the story for me and we'll just kind of keep going. Okay. Well, in 2010, I was in my doctoral studies and nearing the end. And I had already started to feel like a pull in another direction intuitively, yet it was really shifting my internal equilibrium as I was so committed to the path that I had been on for such a long time. At this point, I had already earned a few master's degrees and was very committed to what I saw my future becoming. And unfortunately, that internal turmoil triggered some other things that had been unfolding in my system in the wake of complex trauma, which began when I was very young. And the combination of being not happy in the program and the body holding so much unprocessed trauma resulted in autoimmunity manifesting. And Autoimmunity is really misunderstood to date. There are so many opinions in both allopathy and holistic medicine. I feel that there's truth somewhere in the middle. However, we now do understand that there's a significant portion of autoimmune diseases, which are direct byproducts of trauma. The body literally breaks down because it's been carrying so much. And let me ask you this, even if it's hereditary, like I have Hashimoto's and so does my mom or so did my mom and uh, I, my sister has a thyroid issue. Is that something that's transferred down or do you think that's something different? Well, there's many pathways to etiology. And if there's a genetic factor, that's always going to have a significant role. But genes take causation. You can carry the gene for almost anything. Mm. Yet if there's not an environmental, whether it's internal or external trigger, the gene often won't manifest. And so that's why you see some people are able to keep pretty strong hereditary ties at bay because of lifestyle choices or the way that they manage stress. And I'm not blaming in any way any person for getting anything that presents in their life because it does come for some sort of greater lesson through the pain. However, yes, I mean, myself, autoimmunity was in the family. The way that it manifested for me was quite significant and literally took down my internal organs, the lungs, the kidneys, and the liver. Yeah, and that's when you had your NDE. So let's talk about what happened on that day in uh, 2010. Okay, so I'm back east, and I have gone there to be seen at the then leading research center in the world, and I happen to be from the east coast. It was a blessed synchronicity, and so I'm there for treatment, but before I can actually begin treatment, I have the worst flare-up at that time to date, Mm. and again, I have been, at this point, it's 2010, I've been seeking adequate medical care since about 2006 when I first became highly symptomatic in my first graduate degree. 
And so I've been passed around a lot. I've heard a lot of different things. I've been given boatloads of prednisone, yet nothing's been consistent and the symptoms are always shifting, yet they're very measurable. So every doctor's saying it's real, yet at the same time, they can't put their finger on it. And Mm -hmm. it just doesn't feel right to me, all of it. So I'm just seeking answers, really. And I go there waiting and the flare up hits and my joints start locking and swelling, which is very common in my presentation of autoimmunity. And so I swell up drastically. I can't move. The pain's excruciating. I call my treatment team, which is a mix of many multidisciplinary specialists, um, a rheumatologist, pain management, a kidney doctor, a critical care pulmonologist due to the severity of the pulmonary issues. And so I have all of these players, and they're 3,000 miles away. Yeah. And now a new treatment team at a humongous research hospital that does not know me. Mm. And so I ask what I should do, and they're saying, just wait till you get into Hopkins. It'll be okay. I just have a day or two to wait. So I listen to the doctors. I take the medication. Now, what nobody understood, because the emphasis had been on my lungs predominantly and my joints, mm-hmm. and then the kidneys came in later, They didn't notice that the liver this entire time was deeply compromised. And many of the medications that they were using to attend to the organs that were basically screaming for attention were actually shutting down the liver more and more. And so when I took the medications that they had directed to just get through, there was Tylenol, traces of Tylenol in multiple products. To a healthy person, it would have been benign. You would have been able to tolerate it. But to someone whose liver was already shutting down, it was toxic. And so it took my liver. And when the liver went, it went so rapidly that it caused a traumatic brain injury, which is ultimately what led to the comatose state. But in addition to that, it took the liver and the lungs. So within a matter of hours, I went from just being in pain to unconscious and then comatose and then declared likely brain dead because it had all happened so rapidly. My chances of survival were slated at under 1%. I was in shock when I heard you talk about that on Tanya's podcast. I was like, okay, wait a minute. How the heck could she even come back from this? And we all know the, well, I know the answer to that. So when you were, when you were in a coma and you know, a lot of people are like, oh, she was dreaming. She was doing this. No, you were literally watching from the other side or watching your body or whatever, watching these guys in these hazmat looking suits, thinking you were like in an X-Files movie because you love the X-Files. So tell me more about that. It was very surreal. There are things that, and I still put together pieces. I mean, to date, it's so difficult to tell the story because so much of it I experienced as an orb of consciousness that was connected to my human way of knowing and being. It wasn't fully the way I am here. And there were no words. Everything's communicated Mm -hmm. through felt sense, through inner knowing and telepathy with the other side. And so before I fully transitioned to the other side and I was in that ICU room and watching as all these things unfold, it was almost like I was a participant observer in a science experiment and I was being allowed to watch and monitor, but I was biased. Like I came to a point where I was like, oh, that's me. That's me on the table. Oh my gosh, that's my body. Ah, and there was like ownership and possession and care about the body. And then as I shifted, what felt rapidly, yet 
looking back, it did take time before I was completely gone to the other side. As I shifted into that realm, to that modality of awareness, to that state of being out of the earth realm, as I call it, then suddenly all of those concerns just evaporated. It was as if the connection or the cord to this incarnation and to this body, those things didn't matter anymore. I was more in the infinite now of knowing I am what I am and that exists beyond all time and space, beyond all measure, beyond any incarnation or any alignment or connection to this earthly being here and now. Let me ask you something, Brooke, when you went back, was it a feeling of, oh, yeah, you know, like, I've been here before, I know this place, this is familiar, I'm comfortable, I'm not afraid? Definitely. I mean, there were periods when offers and and upgrades and possibilities were offered where I did have, you know, trepidation. And And I've caught flack from people saying that doesn't exist on the other side. Please note that when I talk about my experience, I may only speak from my experience. I was comatose. Yes. I was technically I was declared brain dead and let read my last rites, but I wasn't actually dead. Right. I was in this in-between space. And as I've described many times before, while I was only comatose for three and a half days, it was quite severe and I wasn't expected to wake up. Three and a half days in that space, free of all the entanglement we experience over here, it felt like I was there for lifetimes. Oh, wow. Because, yeah, time doesn't exist there. And, and, and I still can't wrap my head around that whole concept because we just have linear time. It's just the way it is here in our 3D world. And I know that. But it's just so strange to me that it just doesn't exist there. So when you were there, tell me about what you experienced. You know, this, did you smell things? Did you see different kinds of colors? Did you talk to people that were long lost? Um, you know, tell me everything. My human here now is of the bias that we experience what we're able to postulate and understand and receive from this end. If you listen to NDE experiences, they tend to have a lot of archetypal themes, as you've discussed, that are resonant for everyone. And yet at the same time, the way that they express themselves can be quite different. For myself, I had been very oriented towards science, towards the material world, towards space, towards the quantum. I was open to all of that. I understood that. It made sense. It also spoke to me in a way that I was comfortable as a child that was intuitive. I saw things through light, through felt experience. So for me, it made a lot more sense that the other side was going to communicate to me in that language. Now, Since then, I am of the human bias as well, that that's really their innate language. There are so many persons on this side that though they may have had an experience filled with deities or beloveds, they still see it and communicate through light. Light seems to be the way that all things are created and all things work Mm -hmm. in this realm. So for me, I was an orb of light. My intensity, my color, that wasn't really felt or known to me. I would feel how it shifted though. I would feel the speed at which I could move and I would feel how small, but it was like a beautiful smallness. It wasn't like the kind of inferiority we feel here. I felt extremely small. And yet at the same time, I felt that I was part of everything. So it wasn't like I was isolated in my smallness. I was a fractal of something bigger, yet I was that big thing too. Right. I'm a big believer on the fact that we are fractals of God or or source or whatever you want to call him. And we're experiencing life for him, through him, with him, and the whole shebang. So, uh, and it makes sense. 
So when you were there, did you feel like a weight had been lifted off? Did you talk to anyone or, or I should say, did you communicate with anyone? Was there anything else that was going on all at that same time? Yes. I mean, the light was constantly communicating. There were different ways that I understood it and received it. Initially, I was greeted by three light beings that I call my angelics. Other people might call them multidimensional guides. It really doesn't matter to me. They were protective. I knew their energy signature. Mm -hmm. They were what felt like coming home to me. I didn't have the classic like beloved surrounded by ancestors as many think of here and now. I have that quite often in my shamanic work but it's not how I received the other side over there when I was there I was incubated in a space with these angelic beings that I knew from far more lifetimes than this one they felt the most safe the most grounding the most familiar to me and that's what made the space feel so refreshing and juicy and alive and as if hey yeah I've been waiting to come back here how long was I gone Yeah, yeah. And I've heard too that a lot of people feel like they were more alive in that state than they ever were in a human body. Well, you're free of all the shadow stuff. For me, there was darkness in this space. I mean, it very much looked like a NASA photo. I feel like those really are a gift from the gods because that's what it looked like. The heavens truly looked like that to me. There was light everywhere. It was beautiful. The intensities were greater than anything I could ever quantify or qualify with human language. And The expression of emotion, I mean, the vibration of everything is fundamentally love. Mm. Here, we have a tendency to split everything. Fear is the opposite of love, et cetera, et cetera. But the reality is fear is what we project when love has been absent, when we've been told we aren't good enough to receive it. The reality is fear is love at its lowest threshold. Right. No, absolutely. I totally agree with that. And Wow. Okay. So you were there, you were in the coma. You said about what, three days? Did I hear that right? Three and a half days. Yes. So you were on the other side. Do you remember everything that transpired? Was it just kind of a, I felt like I was there 20 minutes and it was over kind of thing. How did that feel? Oh, when I woke up, I was convinced I'd been comatose for about three years. Oh, really? Oh, (laughs) when, when, when persons tried to tell me I was gone three days, it's like, uh, uh, Really? <laughs> there was the amount of information. And, you know, it didn't come through all at once. As I've talked about before, I was a fundamental skeptic. I came back into the body and I wanted to believe all the things the naysayers say. It was a dream. Right. It was drugs. It was this. It was that. I mean, I went through all of them trying to validate that this was false. Right. Because, again, it challenged everything I had aligned myself to. Yeah, you're scientifically trained. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And thankfully, I had been walking that bridge that I discussed in the beginning where I had been opening the door to transpersonal psychology. I'd already been studying depth psychology. So stepping out of the clinical a bit, yet I still knew as a diagnostician and somebody who was literally trained in psychopathology that if I were to describe what was happening to me from the moment I woke up, and not just the NDE, the NDE, archetypally, that story exists throughout cultures. Okay. Right. What I was struggling with was when I opened my eyes and suddenly I couldn't say it was just a dream. I couldn't say it was this or that without pathologizing myself because suddenly I had these after effects that were beyond my knowing of human senses. They were beyond what I understood. And they were something that as a clinical psychologist, I was trained to pathologize. Now that's shifting, but ever so gently in the field. Well, you came back a completely different person. 
You came back. I, a, did. Yes. I did, but I couldn't show it. I think that's the case for most of us. Right, right. Because, you know, think about it, Brooke. When you were young, you said as a child, you knew you had gifts. But maybe as you got older, you were, you know, putting science behind that whole, that logic of thinking, going, nah, I, I don't know if that exists. But then you're shown a whole different way when you have this in your death experience. Come back. And I've heard this time and time again. Most people that come back after an NDE, I think 99% of them have some kind of gift that they didn't have before. Mm-hmm. And it, as you touched upon, I don't know that it's that we didn't have it before because I do know and trust and we will see in the coming years that we all have these capacities. It's just that we've been indoctrinated to suppress them, to shame them, to invalidate them, to pathologize them. And so what might just be the seeds of something that could gestate and express itself over time often gets ripped out before it's even rooted. Right. No, I absolutely agree. Because guys, when Brooke had her near-death experience, she literally was given less than a 1% chance of surviving because all of her organs totally shut down. But what happened was she woke up and she was strapped in and she can tell you the rest. But it was the story of how she came out of this is amazing. Go ahead, Brooke. So thank you, Leslie. I wake up and when I'm in space, I'm given the choice to come back. And like many experiencers, I was given that choice. It doesn't apply to everyone. But I again, I was in the in-between. And so I was given that option. And when I eventually chose to come back, they instructed me to intuitively follow a light unlike any others. Now, this is funny to me now because I'm super photosensitive as part of my NDE after effects package. And so I'm looking for the light that's like unlike any other in this beautiful space that's entirely made of light. (laughs) I'm catapulted just through my intention towards this uncomfortable light. And it was uncomfortable in that space, but only for a split second. Next thing I know, I'm back here. And it was very discombobulating because this realm is nothing like that realm. Suddenly everything's material and tangible and felt like, you know, literally 3D felt. And I open my eyes and I can't make out anything. Everything is blurry. It takes me a moment to realize I don't have contacts in. And then it's like, what is this horrible light? Like it's pulsating. And then that becomes the light from ICU. And then what are all these machines? And then I'm like trying to jump up to see the vital machine. And I realize I can't move my body. Mm. Well, that, of course, causes panic. Of course. And there's no understanding as to where I am. I mean, I'm, I'm putting together I'm in the hospital, but I don't understand why. And what's happened and why I can't move. So I'm very scared. And for a moment, all of which just happened does become dreamlike and out the window. I'm focused on the immediacy of survival. I'm back in the human. How do I get information and get out of this situation? Right. I realize that nobody's attending to me, even though I've obviously woken up from something significant. And so I'm trying to get their attention, but I have a pick line into my brain. Um, My ex-husband had been told that if I were to survive, the only way would be if a pick line went directly into the brain. And I still have, to this day, the hair where they went in to put the pick line, it broke. And it has never grown back. (laughs) So I have incredibly long hair, like down to my but when I pull it up, there's this one little dangly piece. And I always call it my survival piece. Oh, yeah, but well, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> it's never grown. And it's right where the pick line was inserted. Oh, wow. And so that's that. I have this pick line. 
and I can't move because of it. They've strapped my arms down so that I won't disrupt the line because the slightest move, it could jar it. And because of the severity of the brain trauma and the organ failure, I wouldn't survive that. So I'm not able to move. And I start at this point embracing the panic, knowing that by containing it, no one's going to see my vitals rising. No one's going to attend to me. So just let the panic do what the panic wants to do, express itself, and the body's going to show that. And then intuitively, the nurses will come. Right. And like clockwork, that all unfolded. Uh, a nurse noticed that I was doing, that my body movements were atypical for muscle spasms. So she, at that point, took another horrible artificial light <laughs> flashlight yeah. and pointed that in my eye and asked me if I could understand her and then we came up with a blink once yes blink two no and started communicating through my left eye which was at the time all I could move wow. and from there <laughs> everything else unfolded weren't they in shock though I mean which is wonderful that you came back but weren't they you were read your last rites Weren't they all just, what? I mean, what was everyone's reactions? Were they scrambling? I'm just so curious. It, it was a mixed bag, to be honest. And this speaks a lot to medical trauma in this country. Because trauma was very poorly understood, in just 12 years, we've made significant shifts in how trauma is understood and how it expresses itself in the body mm. and what complex trauma looks like and does over decades. Okay. So what I went through is now understood through an entirely different lens. At the time, that was heavily pathologized. People didn't really understand it. And, and that's still an issue, but it's not nearly what it was back then. So that said, doctors immediately are concerned about accountability, about liability, about mm. you know, lawsuits. And so when I first woke up, the emphasis became on, well, you know, from my family, because they don't know what happened. They were only told that I took too much Tylenol. That's literally what they were told. Oh, my gosh. Oh. And then they're making assumptions based on my past and how I once had managed trauma. Like many survivors, I had turned to addiction to numb it. And so they're thinking it's something related to that, even though that had been a very long time before. Right. And people, sadly, will go for the easiest story. Yeah. Absolutely. And so it took until I was able to actually, I mean, my family was ecstatic that I woke up. Do not get me wrong about that. They were very perplexed as to what happened. And once people started to realize I was defying the odds and I was back, the celebration really shifted into trying to put together the dot. And my vehement <laughs> refusal to acknowledge that I had done anything wrong. I was you. pretty... I was pretty hurt to wake up and having gone through this beautiful experience and then suddenly be told I was trying to take my life. And then because I couldn't express myself, it goes even deeper because having had been suicidal from trauma before, my questioning as a clinician and a human being was if I was suicidal enough to try to take my life, why would you meet me with this hostility? What kind of healing does that offer? Oh, absolutely. And that's another whole issue that, you know, we may not have time to talk about. But yeah, that, wow. Okay. So you're married at the time. And do you have children at the time as well? No, I do not have any children okay, at the time. Okay. So, but your husband at the time was like, okay, she's back. And are you telling him your story? And they're telling him their story? And hopefully it's, there's not a lawsuit going on. I hope not. <laughs> no, I, well, I wanted nothing to do with any of that. So that got crushed pretty quickly. Okay. And so, good, good, um, good. And, you know, that said, he thankfully, he heard me. I didn't go into like a lot of depth. I told him things that weren't making sense to me. I told him I knew he had been there. Like I had felt his presence. I had felt loved ones in 
that space. I didn't see them in the way some people describe it, but like I felt their light. I knew people had been talking to me when I was on the other side. Oh, wow. I knew people had been sending. Uh, I, I had friends from all sorts of different faiths. So I had people that were having Catholic, you know, services. I had people doing Reiki shares. I had people doing, you know, sits and Sangha. And so I had felt all of that. I knew that I had like a very beautiful and multicultural lineage of persons supporting me. There was an awareness of that. At the same time, there were a lot of things I couldn't yet put into words and articulate. So I would tell him he was the only one I would initially confide in because he knew me as a scientist. He knew I was struggling with it. And I was very anti-religion at the time and spirituality as well. And so I wouldn't come back and be like, I met God and be excited about it. Yeah, exactly. I I know. Now, you know, and that's what's so funny. It's just, you were able to validate some things that he was like, there's no way you would have known that. There's no way you would have known that I came at whatever time I came, or there's no way you would have known that they had these suits on when they were working on you at first. You know, those kinds of things that helped validate, you know, and maybe made him go, wait a minute. Okay, maybe she's onto something. Because there's so many things in this world we can't explain. It doesn't, you can't explain every single thing away. I don't care how good you are in science or how religious you are or any of those one spectrum or the other there's just things we can't explain so yeah so when you came back you felt like you were a different person in the way of just I think you say now you can see people you can see maybe a gift of discernment maybe yes I mean the the major shift was having been a, a felt or empathic intuitive before where I just knew things just through my own clear cognizance suddenly that up leveled uh, because it wasn't just a knowing that was felt or intuitive or empathetic or any kind of resonance in that way. Suddenly I was seeing something that at the time, again, I put it in the language of science because it made sense to me. It still makes sense to me as a human being from that lens. I was seeing the quantum field, the vibrational field, the way light moves through everything. Everything that is in this realm is energy and energy is constantly moving, including everything within and outside of us. And so as the doctors were coming and maybe it was a blessing they didn't give me my contacts or glasses for a while because (laughs) I'm nearly legally blind. And so in order to like deduce what was happening here, I had to really like squint to make out what was happening as far as humans and what I was seeing outside the humans clearly. And to this day, even with contacts or glasses, that's a struggle because the light and the field move so quickly and our human eyes only take in a certain amount. So it's, it's always like, it's almost like I'm seeing with two aspects of my brain at all times and it can get overwhelming. And so that said, in a hospital, it's very frenetic energy, particularly in ICU, where they're constantly checking on you and the walls are glass. And so I started noticing that every time someone would come in, it wasn't how they looked or what they said that I was responding to. I was responding to all this stuff that I saw moving atop of them. And it told me way more information than anything they were disclosing. Wow. Okay. Well, give me an example. Uh, for instance, one of the doctors who tried to accuse me of suicidality and that I didn't appreciate my life and all of this stuff, when he came in, he made some comments about, you know, lifestyle choices and how I was going to have to do this and that and my chances of recovery being so grim and slim. And it was all like, you know, a lot of shaming and blaming. And all I could notice was that his field was perpetually lit up in the lungs and his mind was perseverating on a cigarette. 
Okay. He's lecturing me on self-care and what I need to do and shaming me for my choices and then thinking about his addiction at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, hey, we're all human and we all do really stupid things, don't we? That's why I laugh because it's like, you know, he's doing his job. I wouldn't say it was the highest and best presentation, but he was being fully human and he was split between what he was saying and what he was actually embodying. I mean, he was putting on to me what he was oh, struggling absolutely. with in a lot of ways. And that's what a lot of people do anyway, whether you're doing it on purpose or you're some kind of narcissistic guy that just blames everyone else for exactly what they're doing. Okay, so when you came out and you started healing, I know a lot of my near-death experiencers, they do go through a depression period where they're really missing the other side and they were like, why did I, why did I come back? Why did I agree to do this? I, mean, mm -hmm. <laughs> I would say period to my human feels like an understatement. Um, yeah, that was, a, that was the after effect. Statistically, seven years is the gold standard for uh, an adult experiencer. For a child, it takes much longer to integrate. There's different theories on this. And as a complex trauma survivor, I have a lot of opinions. I listen to researchers with a lot of love, yet then I also take in what I see in my practice and what I know from going through this. I had the seven years textbook. I went through the suicidality, the dark nights of the soul, not wanting to be here. It was very extreme. Mm -hmm. in, uh, in the language of psychology, it had moments where it did feel manic because you would go from one extreme high and loving the gifts and loving what they provided and enjoying the ride. And then you would crash down to this low that's beyond words mostly because you can't qualify or quantify most of this to most people. It's one thing when someone wants to hear about it on a podcast or because it's fascinating in short term. It's another thing when you're in their day-to-day -day life and you're trying to figure out how to still be human and function, yet you have these extraordinary abilities that you can't really talk about with most persons. No, that's exactly why we have this podcast, because I want to know. So I'm going to ask you. <laughs> So what are the gifts you got from this? What what happened? You know, it oscillates based on the energies every single day. How much in alignment I am? How clear is my human vessel? What am I tapping into in the collective? Uh, for one, it's definitely the ability to constantly see through the veil. Some people need to use ceremony or feel safer in ceremony. Some, um, you know, have different pathways with plants or whatever or meditation. For me, the veil's gone. Wow. And so... I constantly have access to anything in that realm. That can be beautiful. It's great for my work. It's fascinating for healing. And yet at the same time, it's exhausting when you're tired. I'll give you an example. Last night, I got into creative mode and I was writing late at night. I have to be very careful because when the veil gets at its thinnest between 12 and 3, if I'm up, it's basically like I'm saying to spirit, let's play. And the whole yeah, team's yeah. going to come through. So I have to be mindful of boundaries. I have to pay attention to lunar calendars and when the field is more thin in general because I'm going to be more open and other people's stuff, I'm going to have to be more mindful of energetic boundaries. Right. This applies to all empaths but when you have the ability to actually see it in addition to feeling it it takes it to another level because you don't necessarily feel safe walking down the street or going into a crowd because those experiences can be very overwhelming mm -hmm. so they take a lot of work and clearing and boundarying up and just making sure that you're always in a place of clear perception because otherwise that gift can quickly become a shortcoming
Yeah. Well, I can understand why it would take that long to come back here and integrate what you felt like you were gone for three and a half years and you were used to that feeling of free and telepathy and communication and light source and all that to this heavy, dense world and just the naysayers and just the negativity and the lack of a lot of love and the lack of a lot of empathy. Yes. And I feel that one of the gifts I was given is the gratitude for this human experience. You know, so often we hear about these transcendent peak experiences and persons just want to go back. And I get it. As I said, I wanted to go home too. Yet the reality is our souls came here to accomplish something. I would not have chosen to come back if there wasn't still mission and purpose to fulfill here and now. And so I came back here and there was a lot of trauma. They communicated that to my NDE. I chose to come back nonetheless. And I humbly remind myself of that when things get really dark. But the reality is all of these spiritual knowings, all of these lofty ideas, they mean absolutely nothing. If the person that is sharing them or has lived them or is expressing them or isn't just poetically writing about them, isn't embodying them into the hard and holy human earth walk. It's not, you know, for me, like I was really turned off when I came back and sought community to discover that the majority of it is what we in transpersonal psychology call spiritual bypassing. It's a lot of look at me, I meditate and I eat kale and, you know, I practice yoga X amount of hours a day. Yet, how do I treat my fellow human? You know, how do I treat the homeless person on the street? Like, how do I honor my privilege? All of those things just kind of get glossed over. Or when I'm not in alignment, how do I act? There's a lot of spiritual narcissism and showing, you know, this enlightened version of self. But the reality is, if you're fully enlightened, you wouldn't be here anymore. I, I completely understand because there's just so much in this world where uh, it's, it really just comes back to love. It really does. And I know that sounds so cliche. It's just the truth. It's just, if you can just love and try to understand where people are coming from and don't be so close-minded, you know, I've said this before on my podcast, you can't put the universe, source, God, whatever in a box. There, the box will, yeah, the box will burst open. So if someone were to come to you for whatever reason, tell me what they could get from your sessions, whatever you do for people when they come to see you. Okay, well, I say multidisciplinary healer because I am operating in a bunch of different toolboxes, or as as one of my mentors loves to say, play boxes, and I concur. (laughs) (laughs) So with these beautiful play boxes, I am dipping constantly in and out of spirituality, psychology, neuroscience, quantum physics, energy medicine, shamanism, angelic fieldwork, quantum fieldwork, the list goes on and on. For each person, it's completely different. And that's why it's an integrative practice. There are some folks that come to me. And when I go into ceremony, I'm going to really focus on the spiritual side because that's what shows up that day. Okay. Okay? There are other people that I go into ceremony and it's the mental and the emotional body that are going bonkers, particularly right now. So before I deep dive into ancestry and past lives or whatever is there 
in the chakra system and the field, I'm going to into what needs attending here and now, which is easing the system that's most dysregulated. And that's when psychology with the aid of spirituality is very beneficial. But all of my sessions are now integrative. And so that basically means I go in, I create a private ceremony for the client. I get very, very basic goals. I don't like a lot of information because again, I'm working with spirit. I don't want a conversation about what you want and need and all of those things. I get the very, very basics. And then I go in and articulate with spirit what you're asking for, what I feel in the vibration, and for them to just basically lead us on a journey. And in an hour or two, depending on the session, I'll be in the field doing the ceremonial work, using shamanism, using angelic field work, using the quantum field, any of my gifts that show up, any ancestor, any spirit that is of the light, I will work with during that time. And then after that, I close the vibrational ceremony up and then I speak with the person on Zoom call without video or by phone, anything with the lesser amount of technology so my field doesn't compromise right, it. Yeah, we, and, yeah, there's even been glitches when we've talked uh, where you kind of cut out, and I'm just going to have to tell my listeners now, um, I'm going to try to fix those, but if I can't, that's one reason why she was glitching out sometimes, because I do think that when you get people that are so high energy and their frequency is just a little bit different than maybe mine or someone else's, uh, it tends to do that with electronics. It just does. It does. And the video makes it all the more worse. And it's hard for me also to focus on people when their fields moving all over the place yes. on video. Yes. So I'm like stay it. connected yeah. to the spirit <laughs> and not um, all that energy. Right. Um, yeah. So that said, yes. Yeah. So then I speak to them for an hour on the phone. Most typically some persons it's two hours. I, I do anywhere from two to four hour long sessions. Wow. And and then we speak and I just integrate everything that came up. And in ceremony, it's it's constant fun. That's why we call it play. I'm doing the work, but I'm also taking ridiculous amounts of notes. So I usually get 12 to 15 pages during the ceremony wow. of what's coming through from spirit. Now, I do not have time to ask a ton of questions. I ask clarifying questions and I keep going. Okay. So would you consider yourself a medium? Would you consider yourself psychic? Would you consider yourself all the clairs as well? I have all the clairs. I would not call myself medium. Yes, I'm psychic. I believe all persons are psychic. It's just how deeply they tap into it. A medium, I'm hesitant to use the word only because I do work in the quantum field. And with the quantum, there are many, many timelines that are always co-occurring. We have the capacity to step in them all and alter things. I do not align to there's one way all things will work out ever. And I don't focus on the future. It's we can alter everything from the here and now, but the only reality is the here and now so to go into the future it to me it becomes a little trickster at times depending on the intention it's used with and I want to meet people where they're at because that's where as a human I can deliver the most medicine right because you know that Mandela effect I'm telling you I think that's real because I do remember things that differently than they are now. And that's just so weird. I don't know if we had a time change. I don't even know what happened, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So, well, that sounds fantastic. I'm going to add all of your information on my show notes because Brooke, you've been so fascinating. I didn't get to every single question. You know what? I may need to have you back on because I would love to hear more about just your time there. 
even though you, you felt like you'd been there for three years. And, you know, I mean, what did you do that whole time? We don't know. I mean, do you, you know, that's what was so fascinating to me. Yeah, it's about a lot of information. I mean, I'll be honest, I'm constantly writing and I'm constantly getting frustrated um, because <laughs> it's so difficult to put the chunks of time that I haven't articulated into words because so much was communicated simply through light. So much was about what's currently unfolded. As I've said before, I was warned that I was going to come back and it was going to be harder. I was warned that I would not step into my power with my gifts. And when I say warned, I mean as lovingly as possible. Right, right. right. Like encouragement with a disclaimer. Right. But basically what they were saying is that this time was going to be pertinent. This time would be why I came back, but not me in some grandiose way, me as part of a team. And I believe that's truly why so many of these conversations are unfolding. So many people are stepping into their soul's work here and now. And that's really what it's all about. No, it's true. Because I remember on the other podcast, you're like, it's so hard to articulate all the time that I spent there and and to put it into words. I don't even know if we have an English language for that. But also our big thing here too, you don't have to be some kind of, you know, president or queen or king or whatever it is to make a difference. You can look at someone and smile at them and they decided not to take their lives that day because someone gave them two seconds of a smile. It can be that medicine. Yeah. It can be two seconds of just whatever. And I'm, I'm giving not the greatest example, but it really truly goes back to just love and being good to people and thinking about your choices in every single aspect and trying to have that good intent. It's hard in this world. It's hard when you're constantly seeing what you're seeing on TV, what you're seeing on social media, and it doesn't matter. You have to discern it. And it's a lot of information to discern. So it sounds like you could really help someone with your practice, kind of get that gook out and get the good in. Yes. I mean, that's a lot of what I'm doing is clearing away what I call the debris from the subtle bodies so that you can receive more of your light. Because again, we all come from this. As you said earlier, we all are it. It's just really clearing the pathways to remembrance and remembering that when you feel the absence of love, circling back to what I was saying about fear earlier, when you feel the absence of love, we often, as we talked about, project that onto others or we don't like something about others. Use that as an invitation to say, what is it that I don't like? What is that saying about me? What is that inviting me to explore? Because it's the shadow, the thing that we project all over everybody else. It's really an opportunity to meet ourselves and transform. Absolutely. I love this. Okay. Brooke, you have been fantastic. And I am so happy I have you on my podcast. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And I'm going to put everything on my show notes. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Leslie. Have a beautiful day as well. Thank you. Well, I love providing because I want to know at no cost. So if you like what you heard, please leave me a five-star review or you can just buy me a cup of coffee. It's kind of like a Patreon, but you don't have a monthly subscription and you can give whatever you feel led to give. I am a one-woman show and I do all of my scheduling and my interviewing and my editing. So just know your support is so greatly appreciated. And one more thing, I am a paranormal romance novelist and you can find all of my books on Amazon. Just look up my name. I'm very easy to find. Thank you guys again and I will see you next week.